Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is Kate Messner. Her books have been New York Times Notables, Junior Library Guild, IndieBound, and Bank Street College of Education Best Book Selections. Her novel, The Brilliant Fall of Gianna Z, won the E.B. White Read Aloud Medal, and her science picture books have been finalists for the American Academy for the Advancement of Sciences, Subaru SBNF Prize for Excellence in Science Writing. Her new book is Sloth Wasn't Sleepy, which is published by our friends at Sounds True. Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with you. It is an honor to have you here. And first, Kate, you recently did a school visit with us here at Quail Ridge Books in Raleigh. What does a school visit look like for you as an author right now in the COVID era? How are you changing your approach? Well, it's a little bit different. Normally at this time of year, I would be right in the thick of March and April uh, school visits where we you know, I'm flying around the country and visiting kids in their classrooms and doing big assemblies and auditoriums. And of course, all of those things are not really possible right now. We're not flying all around the country and we're not having big assemblies and getting together. We're staying home and staying safe for the most part. But um, the great news is school visits have survived all of this. We've had to pivot a little bit, but the, the Zoom virtual author visit has uh, you know become the catchphrase of 2020 and 2021 this school year, and it's worked out pretty well, I have to say. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. There are some benefits actually to having kids connecting uh, many with many students learning remotely. Um, they're connecting on their very own devices, um, and that, in a way, has a, a sort of personal touch uh, that's a little bit different from sing, sitting in an assembly with a few hundred other kids. So we found ways to adapt. We can show presentations. We can share read-alouds. We can do puppets. Uh, pretty much, you name it. So it's it's worked out pretty well in spite of everything. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Kate. Uh, let's talk about your new book, Sloth Wasn't Sleepy. This book has been a wonderful addition to our stack of bedtime books at my house. Um, why, Kate, are there so many children's books about going to sleep? Well, as a, as a parent, I, I, my kids are grown now, but I certainly remember those days when you're just waiting for the end of the day when everybody settles down for the night and some of those settling down moments come more easily than others, let's face it. How old are your kids? I have one uh, kid. My son Van is four. He will be five in April. Ah, so that's a that's an interesting bedtime time, right? Because sometimes they're exhausted, but they get that last burst of energy. But sometimes kids are exhausted and they go to sleep uh, or they go to bed and their little brains start to swirl with worries. Um, and that's really what I was coming at with the book Sloth Wasn't Sleepy. It's about this uh, little sloth who gets in bed at night and she's ready for bed, but then as soon as she lies down and looks at the ceiling, her brain starts to swirl with worries. And I think that's a story that all of us can relate to at any age, especially this past year or so. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a book about learning to let go of those things and learning to settle down and take some deep breaths and let them go and, and get our minds at rest so we can sleep. Right. Thank you so much, Kate. And I next want to talk to you about your protagonist, Sloth. Um, children 
love sloths. Adults love sloths. Why, Kate, do people find sloths so endearing? And what made you write a book about a sloth who wasn't sleepy? Well, I'll be honest with you, my fascination with sloths actually grew out of a research trip that I took for a totally different book. Um, I have a, a book called Over and Under the Rainforest, all about the hidden world of animal life in a rainforest. And I took a couple trips to Costa Rica to do research, uh, you know, spend some time hiking in the rainforest when I was working on that book and fell in love with the sloths like you do, right? Because sloths are like that. Um, but especially you would see, you know, even in the middle of a rainstorm, you'd look up and you'd see a mother sloth and a baby sloth all curled together, you know, at the top of a tree. And um, so that was really the inspiration. I, I just think they're super cute. And the idea of a sloth, you know, we always think of sloths as being lazy and you always see them sleeping. But what if there were a sloth who couldn't sleep? You know, the idea of turning what's expected on its head is always uh, appealing to me as an author. So that was really the the impetus for this story. Excellent. Thank you, Kate. And uh, sloths, of course, as you say, they are incredibly slow. So a sloth who is too hyped to go to sleep is a funny concept. I like it. Um, you alluded to this a little bit earlier. Sloth is experiencing a lot of anxieties in this book. Um, I know that my son has experienced some anxiety about COVID-19 as he was just old enough to realize what was going on a year ago when everything started shutting down. Uh, was it part of your approach when writing this book to help with anxiety specific to this time, or did you write the book before the coronavirus began to spread? Yeah, so I, I actually wrote this book before anyone had heard of COVID-19, um, but anxiety, childhood anxiety, or really anxiety at any age, isn't just a 2021 phenomenon. You know, it's a it's an evergreen topic. Uh, I do think kids have a little more to worry about than usual this year. Their lives have been upended just as ours have, you know, and they're, they're not able to see friends, they're not able to have their play dates or go to school the way they used to go to school in many cases. And in addition to that, they see everything looks different, right? They're maybe not seeing loved ones that they would normally see and their parents are working from home and we're stressed out. And so there's just this whole upside down feeling that really can rock a kid's world and make it feel like everything they thought they could count on maybe is a little bit shaky. Um, so it certainly was a good year for the book to come out, but I think it's it's really a topic that's evergreen. You know, my, my daughter is all grown up now uh, and in college, but when she was little, she would deal with anxiety issues at bedtime a lot. And we, we dealt with a lot of bedtime anxiety. And um, one of the things we both discovered then was this concept of sleep meditation, the idea of mindfulness that's specifically relating to letting worries go, to releasing those concerns, you know, and, and letting them go, um, and also quieting your body and your mind so you can get to sleep. Yeah, thank you, Kate. And along those lines, uh, one methodology used to help sloth go to sleep is uh, the use of sound, the sound of the wind blowing through tree leaves, for example. How is sound specifically spoken sound when a story is read aloud used as a device to soothe children who are finding it hard to fall asleep? Well, I think any time we can sort of get out of our brains, right? Because anytime you, you lay down to go to sleep and you have worries swirling through your brain, and I mean this whether you're four years old or 50 years old, um, one of the big things you can do is sort of 
get out of your head, right? And pay attention to what's around you. So uh, one of the classic things to do when you're, you're experiencing anxiety is to say, okay, what are five things I see right now, right? And then you have to pay attention to something other than your own beating heart and your own you know, breaths that are maybe coming a little too quickly. And what are five things I can hear right now? Um, and so that's, that's something that's sort of a tried and true technique for, for getting out of our heads, right? To, to be mindful and be a little less anxious. Um, but in addition to that, I, I chose the sounds of this story specifically um, to have a calming effect. You know, some, some words do that, right? The idea of, of trees that go shush, rush, shush, rush, almost sounds like a white noise machine when you say it. Um, and so there, there sort of was a, a double um, a double goal there was one to, to pay attention to that technique of listening and getting out of our heads, but also to focus specifically on those sounds that are pretty calming. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Kate. It is a technique that works very, very well in our house. Uh, listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Kate Messner. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin, B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Kate Messner, author of Sloth Wasn't Sleepy, which is published by our friends at Sounds True. Kate one thing Sloth is worried about when she is having trouble falling asleep is wild animals, uh, jaguars, snakes, and eagles. Obviously, Sloth is an animal, so other animals will be a natural worry. But do you find wild animals is something children often worry about at night? I don't, to be honest with you. I mean, most most kids, uh, you know, even kids who are afraid of snakes, for example, don't typically worry that a snake's going to show up in their bedroom at night. Um, and I did that by design as well. Uh, when I was first drafting this book, I, there was a moment when I considered giving the sloth human worries, mm -hmm. right? Worrying about, you know, friends or about what if something happens to someone I love. Uh, but those are very real things that human children worry about. Mm -hmm. And one thing I didn't want to do was place possible worries into a child's head at bedtime, right? And so, uh, you know, most of us as people don't need to worry about sharp-talent eagles, right? Mm -hmm. So that was a way to discuss the idea of things that cause anxiety in a hypothetical way without planting an actual worry in a real child's head. Excellent, thank you, Kate. Um, how did you incorporate meditative exercises into this book to help soothe sloth to sleep, maybe meditative exercises for adults. I know this is something that has been very effective with my son. 
Yeah, and was with my daughter as well uh, when when she was struggling with some sleep issues when she was a kid. Um, yeah, I think that that was really the the main goal when I had this notion of a sloth who couldn't get to sleep. Uh, one of the first things that came to my mind was, well, what do you do when someone you love can't go to sleep, right? You try to help. And one of the things that my daughter and I would do together were these sleep meditations. Um, and there are lots of different uh, forms that that can take, you know, from sleep stories, from you know, quiet stories, or envision very peaceful places where you're perfectly at rest to uh, mindful breathing and counting. And that's a really effective thing that literally lowers our heart rate when we slow our breathing down, right? And it helps your body get ready to sleep. So um, having the mother sloth say, oh, here's some things you can try uh, to that young sloth is really an invitation for families to try this together, you know? And whether or not it's a time when you're reading the book, you can kind of call back, well, remember what mother sloth tried? Remember what that sloth tried that in two, three, four, and breathe out two, three, four. Um, if you can get kids to pay attention to their breath and to use it as a tool, that's something many of us don't learn to do until we're much, much older. So that can be a really amazing lifelong skill. Absolutely. Thank you, Kate. What has been your response to this book from adults. Um, I ask because I know a lot of adults who are experiencing sometimes overwhelming senses of anxiety this past year uh, for obvious reasons, as we alluded to earlier. I've heard comments from adults about this book that it has helped them fall asleep or that they couldn't stay awake long enough to finish it for their kid and they love it. Um, what have you heard from adults and what is your experience with adult readership of children's books in general? Yeah, usually as a writer, you don't want to hear that somebody fell asleep in the middle of your book. <laughs> mm -hmm. But this is an exception, right? It this is. picture book. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I have heard that. In fact, when we were uh, first announcing the book and you know announcing its publication, uh, the first you know I would say this is a great book for kids who who can't fall asleep at night. And uh, you know my Facebook feed was full of adult comments that say, "Kids, forget the kids. I need that book. I've been having trouble sleeping." Um, so I think it's 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 really important to have those comments conversations with young people too, and to help them understand that this is something that happens to everybody. We all have sleepless nights and we all can make use of those tools. Uh, so the response has been pretty overwhelmingly great. A lot of families sharing it together. Um, one grandmother uh, told me that she bought this book. She had picked up a signed copy from, from a local bookstore uh, for her granddaughter and uh, her granddaughter got the book and immediately read it and opened it up. And then on the title page wrote, I am so this sloth. So I, I appreciated that that uh, connection that she made, but I think we can probably all relate to that. Like, I, like you said, especially this year. For sure. Thank you so much, Kate. I want to step away from this book for a moment and ask you about your book, The Seventh Wish. Uh, this is about a topic that you don't confront too often in children's literature. Uh, can you tell us what this book, The Seventh Wish, is about and why you chose to write it? Sure. The Seventh Wish is a fairy tale reimagining. It's a retelling of the old Russian fairy tale, The Fisherman's Wife, about the fisherman who goes out and he catches a fish that offers him wishes in return for its freedom. And so he wishes for, you know, 
well, first he lets the fish go and then he goes home to his wife and tells her, hey, you're not going to believe what happened today, honey. And she says, that's great. What did you wish for? And he has to admit that, well, he didn't wish for anything. He just let the fish go. And then she sends him back to, to catch the fish again and to start wishing for these grand things, mansions and beautiful things to fill the mansion with. And and uh, the, the more he wishes and the richer they become, the less and less happy his wife and he are. And so it's a wishes gone wrong story. And um, so my version of it is a reimagining of that old fairy tale. Uh, and instead of an old fisherman, the main character is a seventh grade girl who's ice fishing to raise money for her first solo dress for Irish dance. And so she is the one who catches this magic fish. Um, but the real world comes crashing into this story when Charlie, the main character's sister, older sister, who's away at college, uh, is revealed to be struggling with opioid addiction. And the family has uh, you know, a very real crisis and has to try and help her through that. And this was really the first book for younger kids, younger than young adults. So this is a middle grade novel for, for readers age eight to 12 or so, eight to 13. And it was really the first book for that age group that that talked about that, right? That talked about heroin. Um, it was a moment when I had to explain to my editor that my fairy tale reimagining was also about heroin addiction, but don't worry, it'll be okay. Mm. Um, and so, but but really that's a, an interesting, I think an interesting way to approach real world issues that can be kind of scary to kids through that lens of light fantasy, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a way in and it's a way to open those conversations with families. So this is about a, a main character whose older sister struggle, struggles with heroin addiction um, and how a family comes together over that to help her through it. And, and a lot of the realities of it too. Uh, so I think it's a, a it's, it's been an interesting book to share with people, to share with families, to share with schools. I've been invited into schools uh, along with their DARE officers, with their drug prevention education officers to do group programs. And that's been amazing. There are communities, there's a whole county in, in uh, Vermont, Addison County, uh, that's been sharing this with all the fifth graders. Uh, as, a, as a launch, a way to launch that conversation about how do we talk about drugs and how do we talk about prevention and, and healthy behaviors. Um, so it's been a really amazing um, process to have this book out in the world and also to deal with some of the adults who are a little put off by it and a little, frankly, scared of the idea of having honest conversations with kids about these things. So it's been, it's been an interesting back and forth to talk about that and to try and help people understand that, you know, we don't need to protect children from stories. What we need to do is have honest conversations with kids and, and sharing information is how we protect them, you know, and having those conversations and building that trust is how we give them armor to deal with things like substance abuse. Absolutely. I'm really glad that you wrote that book, Kate. I'm sure that it has helped many, many people and will continue to uh, in the future. Finally, to bring the conversation back to Sloth Wasn't Sleepy, uh, the illustrations in this book are wonderful. They are by the very talented Valentino Toro. Uh, can you walk us through the process of working with Valentino and any illustrator, including how an illustrator for a picture book is ch chosen? Yeah, so it's an interesting process. A lot of times people assume, A, that either the author also did the illustrations 
or that the author chose the illustrator and said, draw this on this page and this on this page. And then this make, you know, give the sloth a pajamas and a little ponytail on her head. And uh, it's not like that. I mean, a picture book at its finest is really a dance between two creators. And so um, in this situation, it was the, the publisher, the editor and, and the team at Sounds True who read the story when they acquired Sloth Wasn't Sleepy and said, oh, we have a perfect illustrator for this, um, you know, and told me about Valentina Toro's work. Um, and she, I've never met Valentina. She is in Colombia. Uh, and I'm in upstate New York, about as much colder than Columbia as it could possibly be up here. Mm -hmm. um, but it's amazing how two people's visions can come together for a picture book. So really all I supplied was that original text. And then it was up to uh, the creative team at Sounds True and Valentina to, um, to envision that and to say, okay, what is our sloth gonna look like? And what color will her pajamas be? And all those things. So as an author, one of the greatest days in the, the creation of a book, you know, the, the lifetime of a book is the day when you, when you get to open your email and see those illustrations for the first time, because then you can see what your words inspired someone else to, to create. And also what the illustrator added to the story, because illustrators add so much that maybe isn't even there in the original text. And uh, that's why a picture book always ends up so much better than I thought it was going to be. Right. Thank you. And thank you for, um, for letting us know. I know a lot of folks are curious about that process and we'll be happy to hear uh, what goes on when an illustrator is chosen. Um, and thank you, Kate, for writing this book as a parent of a child who sometimes experiences several days long sleep issues. We love this book in our house and we are so appreciative that you have written such a thoughtful, um, endearingly meditative book. Listeners, I've been speaking with Kate Messner, author of Sloth Wasn't Sleepy, which is published by our friends at Sounds True. Kate, thank you for joining me. Thanks so much, Jason. Once again, I have been speaking with Kate Messner, author of Sloth Wasn't Sleepy, which is published by our friends at Sounds True. Please visit us at www.quailridgebooks.com to order a copy of Sloth Wasn't Sleepy with free shipping. I would like to thank our sponsor, Libro.fm Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.
mean? Um, well, I think that she understands this book and it's true. I, I think as a deeply spiritual, um, expression of love of family and of community. And through the process of writing this book, not only did she find herself in communion with nature, um, with her ancestors, but Celie's, you know, the book starts with dear God and the book ends with dear God, dear trees, dear flower. I mean, it's, it's expansive and then goes back to God. And that journey, you know, there's so many ways that I've taught the book. I've taught it about Celie finding her voice, finding her sexuality. But I think for Alice Walker, it was finding God and everyone and everything. That's the real journey of this book. Um, and Alice Walker grew up um, right down the street from her church, her Christian church. And so I feel that she finds that this story of Buddhism, but not, but really one's relationship to see the God and everyone and everything around you, to see purple as a divine expression um, was her, her attempt to come up with another way of having human beings relate to the environment that they're in, in the world that we inhabit. 